Um, but before we get into the message today, I want to want to pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for the way that you take care of us, God, and that you you watch over us, um, God. We we are nothing without you, and so Lord, we um, God just want to focus on your word today. We want to see you more clearly, God, and and we want to just uh, press into your love and your purpose for us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, long time ago, I saw a movie that changed my life. And it wasn't Passion of the Christ. It was the Buddy Holly story. I'll tell you how it changed my life. Yeah. I just happened upon this movie. By the way, Gary Busey stars as Buddy Holly in this movie. If you've never seen it, it's great. I, was, I watched this, uh, this movie. I really got introduced to Buddy Holly the musician for the first time and uh, and I was a budding guitar player at the time and I thought you know what I, I think I could pull that guy off I think I could pull the look off I had big curly hair I needed with some glasses some of you are confused like who is Buddy Holly so if you're under the age of 75 <laughs> um, Buddy Holly <laughs> yeah uh, 50s rock and roller, very influential. Uh, same time as Elvis, and uh, influenced the Beatles, influenced the Beach Boys. Really, like, pretty, pretty famous. He died famous for dying young in a plane crash. Died at 22, but released some pretty big hits. You guys know Peggy Sue? All right, Peggy Sue. That'll be the day. Lots of great hits. Every day, one of my favorites. So, what, what was it? Karaoke, yeah. After uh, that's after the vision meeting today, if you make it. No. Um, so, anyways, so I started like playing Buddy Holly songs. I started learning how to sing like Buddy. If you remember, Buddy has this like hiccup that he does. I I learned all this stuff, and I'm like, you know what? I think I think I could I could start doing shows. And so I found two other guys who were really good friends that I was like, hey, what, what do you think? And they were just nerdy enough to say yes. And I found this coffee shop uh, in the, the town I was living in, in Independence, Oregon, that had just opened up. And I asked the owner, hey, what do you think if we, you know, if we did a show? He's like, sure, can you do it every week? <laughs> and so I ended up having this standing gig as Buddy Holly for like a year. <laughs> at this coffee shop. It was the time of my life, let me tell you. I've also played at nursing homes <laughs> and uh, one talent show. So um, yeah, that's after I got married too, so <laughs> probably makes sense. So, but there was a season in my life where I was fascinated with this musician, like, oh, I think I could could mimic him, I could learn the music, I could do the things. And I had a guitar teacher at the time who was totally confused by my fascination with Buddy Holly. He thought, man, you are such a dork. Like, what is wrong with you? But, um, but he was a jazz guy, so no. But, uh, but anyways, as we continue our series called Finding Assurance, uh, we're going to talk about finding Jesus fascinating. You know, sometimes we find people that are fascinating, leaders, whoever it might be, we find people fascinating. And one of the things that John gets into in this letter of 1 John is, is Jesus truly fascinating to us? 
Because if Jesus is fascinating to us, we're motivated by him. We're motivated to do something. And so today we're going to talk about how our fascination in Jesus changes everything for us. And this is the, the question over today that we're going to ask is, do we truly treasure Jesus? Do we treasure him? Do we treasure him? There was a season in my life where I treasured the music of Buddy Holly, and I, I learned it, and I, 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 for whatever weird reason, and, and I just had a season where I, where I learned how to be like Buddy. When we're fascinated with Jesus, we can't get enough of him. We learn how to live like him. We follow him like he's our teacher, like he's our rabbi. So, so in our series, we've been walking through this letter of 1 John, and, first, and John writes to provide assurance to people who are in Christ. Like, am I truly in Christ? Am I truly walking in the faith? Am I truly walking with God? And so what we'll see today is that there is this inseparable connection between believing in Jesus and becoming like him. There's this inseparable connection between believing in Jesus and becoming like him. That believing leads to becoming. So treasuring Jesus leads us to learn from him, to model after him, to cherish what he teaches. And this is what John gets at here in chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in 1 John 2, 3 this morning. Chapter 2, verse 3, we're going to read to verse 11. So I'll start us off. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard since the beginning. This old command is the message, which, the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister, is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or si brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. This is the word of the Lord. So one of the things I love about the Bible is that there's a lot of different voices in the Bible. I love that uh, when you open up the New Testament, you're hearing from different people who, whose lives were totally changed by Jesus. And you have the letters of John, and they're very different than the letters of Paul. Paul writes like a professor. You know, Paul writes in these big run-on sentences, and he's trying to explain every detail of theology. And John writes like a pastor. John just, wants to write, John just wants to write so that you own the core of your faith. John zeroes in on the core. Like, what is, what is most important for you to know? What is most important for you to live by? And so he speaks with these big concepts that you're going to see he comes back to a lot. He comes back to again and again, knowing God, loving God, and obeying God. He, it's, it's his thing. It's his stump speech. Know God, love God, obey God. And so, so you're going to, yeah, you're going to notice that as we go through this, he's going to circle back to that. And um, some people say, 
And I think it's true that repetition teaches. Have you guys heard that? Like if you hear something again and again and again, you start to learn it. You start to own it. It starts to become yours. And I think John believed that to his core because he <laughs> repeats himself a lot. And so this letter of 1 John, what it does is it helps us center on the core of our faith. What's, it, what's in the middle? What's at the center? What does our whole world revolve around as Christians? And he doesn't take on every issue. He instead, he centers on what's most important. John is the definition of keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> like, he just wants to keep it simple. And I love that. I love that. And today really is a call to simplicity. It's a call to simplicity of our focus and our lives. How can we simplify our aim in life? And I think it's important, it's an important time for us as a church to center on center on our relationship with Christ. What do we really have to offer as we take steps downtown, as we take steps in growth, as we, as we start groups, all we really have to offer is Jesus, is a relationship with Jesus. And the way that that's modeled is in the way that we love each other and the way that we love the world around us. It's that simple. And so that's really what I want to get at today, because John puts relationship with Jesus at the, at the core of his message, at the center of his message, is, is you in a love relationship with Christ. You may struggle with a question that I struggle with sometimes. When I hear a message like the one I'm giving to you now, is that too simple? Like, is Jesus really the answer to every problem and every question that we have? Is it too simple to just focus on Jesus? I was thinking this week of a time I went on a road trip with a friend of mine named Vince. And Vince was the extrovert of extroverts, um, which happened to make him the evangelist of evangelists. <laughs> and uh, Vince was just a super outgoing guy. And we stopped at a gas station, and Vince got in a conversation with a gal. And I uh, just got in a conversation, and she started to share her problems with him. Like, he, he was that safe. He just, she just started to open up, and, and he didn't tell me what they were. Um, but he did tell me how the conversation went. And it came to a point where he just said, man, like, you need Jesus. And you know what she said? She said, I know. It was that simple. <laughs> like... So let me ask you, was Vince wrong to be that blunt? Was he, was he wrong to be that blunt, or is that just what boldness looks like? If we're just willing to say, you need Jesus. Like, you, you really do. See, sometimes I think we overcomplicate things. You know, they, I'm, on, I'm on social media. I'm out in public. There are so many conversations going on right now, right? Each one of them, we could spend hours talking about. And, and they're difficult conversations, and they're muddy. But what if Jesus wants us to remain centered on him in the middle of these conversations? What if we don't have to have all the answers to every conversation? But we could just point to someone who does have the answers. That's the beauty of witness. I am not a savior to anyone. I can't save anybody. I can't convince anybody. 
that that they're that they're sinners in need of a savior. I can't I can't change anyone on my own. All I can do is witness to someone who can point somebody in the right direction. And then in the power of the Holy Spirit, that person's heart is drawn in to relationship. See, I, I think sometimes we get overwhelmed and we think we need to know everything. We need to have all the right answers. We need to say everything the right way. And I don't think we can because we're not God. But we do know one thing. We do know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. We do know that his kingdom is breaking out in the world. We do know that Jesus came to change lives. And so what if we can simply point people to him? What if we can simply point people to Jesus? What if, as John says, basically says, Jesus is the center? Like the rest of the life orbits around Jesus. The Bible itself orbits around Jesus. The Old Testament and the law point to Jesus. Jesus is in the center. That this, where this lies, First John and the letters point to Jesus and back to Jesus and explain what he's done. And then Revelation looks forward to a day when Jesus will return. It's all about Jesus. So, here John makes following Jesus really simple to us. Life is about Jesus, and then he makes it very simple to us. He says this about our lives. He says in verse 3, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So first, instead of saving the world, let's look here. Let's look at our own lives. What impact has Jesus made right here? And so John gives us this litmus test. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. If we value them, treasure them, live them out, practice them, like if we, if we try to absorb and grow in the teachings of Christ, we'll know that we have come to know him. We keep his commands. One scholar said that keep is one of John's favorite words. Notice he said keep and not do. There's a little bit of a difference. Keep is this Greek word tereo. It means to keep safe as a precious thing. Like the way that we kind of hover over our kids in parking lots, right? Like, oh, you, you know, disaster could strike at any moment. Like that's kind of... That's kind of our attitude towards God's word. We guard it. We protect it. We watch over it. It's like it's, it's God's word that we keep in our hearts, and we try to not let anything else get in there, kind of take our focus away. We lock that up safe. And, and why is God's word precious? It's because those are the words of life. Like I said, there's a lot of conversations out, out there. There's a lot of words. There's a lot of things. Only Jesus' words are the words of life, the words that lead to life. It's pretty simple, right? That might not pass in a philosophy class, but that's what God's word says, is that only Christ, only God, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, him only. And so the words of God bring life. So here is... Here's what John is saying, is that he's saying this, that we'll know, we know Jesus if we treasure what he says. 
we're, we're going to talk more about attitudes than actions today because attitudes actually lead to actions. But sometimes we put that cart before the horse, you know? We start measuring, like, all of our actions. It's, it's about your attitude towards God's word. So just, let's go back to this idea of the word because we have, we have the word of God. We have the word of God, but... In the beginning of John's gospel, he calls Jesus the Word of God. Has anybody ever been confused by that? Like, if we have the Bible, why does John call Jesus the Word of God? Well, the Bible, you know, starting in the Old Testament, God gave instructions for his people on how to live. How to live rightly, how to live different, how to not worship idols, how to live in a way that honors God. And then fast forward to Jesus, and Jesus is the Word of God with skin on. It's, it's made simple. Instead of memorizing everything, just follow him. Just follow Jesus. And in uh, jo- the Gospel of John 1, verse 14, he says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what we see is this, is that Jesus embodies the truth and will of God. Like Jesus has God made accessible and tangible for us to follow. Simple. Simple for the whole world. One Savior, one Lord for the whole world. Jesus is the law lived out. It's the template for us, for new, new, this new humanity in the kingdom of God. So it's really God made simple, made tangible for us. We're in this new covenant where all of our faith, all of our salvation, all of our goodness relies on Jesus and what he's done. Like God made it simple. Through Jesus, we're set free. So Jesus equals freedom for us. So it's not just about words on paper. It's about relationship with God uh, in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And we learn his ways through the power of the Holy Spirit and the word that we hold in our hands. I mean, how, how, do, we, how do we know Jesus unless we pick up the word that's been proclaimed about him, you know? So I do want to look at what it says in, in Hebrews. Hebrews speaks to this in the intro to Hebrews in, in chapter 1. Uh, the intro says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. I think that, that phrase, exact representation, is really important. Because basically God is saying, everything I ever wanted you to know about me is in Jesus. It's in this relationship with him. So God has spoken to us in these last days, these final days through Jesus. So we treasure him, we study him, and we're fascinated by him. And through the ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives, we can become more and more like him. The, the hard part is the treasuring part, is the protecting part, because the world is a tough place to be. John uses the phrase dark over and over and over again. Like, the world's pretty dark, and we can get discouraged. 
We can get beat down. We can want to give up at times. And so the hard part is the guarding, guarding our faith, letting it grow. That's the hard part. John says in verse 4, Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. So liar is not a very pleasant word, right? I don't usually call people liars, you know? It's a harsh word, but it does get our attention because God doesn't want us to live a lie. We can't separate our walk from the word. We can't separate how we live from, from, uh, <clears throat> from what we say, right? It, it all is supposed to go together. But here's a problem. We can say, okay, but I still sin, and who doesn't, right? If this is about never sinning, we're all done, <laughs> you know? Just because you believe in Jesus, you don't become perfect in that moment, right? We're all dead in the water if this means we never sin again. So what does it mean? I want to get back to this idea of attitude. This, this is all about attitude. Like, what is our attitude towards God? Are we eager? Are we excited? Are we trying to learn and grow and be shaped by him? Are we open when we, when we inevitably mess up time and time again? Is our attitude to seek forgiveness and keep moving? Or are we just stuck in the attitudes we had before we met Jesus? And that's the, that's the difference. It's that idea of attitude. There were some jobs I had in high school that I, I didn't have a good attitude about. You know, one of my first jobs was working for a pizza place. And it was a hole in the wall, and the people weren't friendly, and that's the only job I ever got fired from, you know? Uh, because I didn't like it. And I didn't show up to a work meeting one day, and it was like, okay, that's, you know, you're done. And you know what? I didn't feel any shame. I felt relief. I probably should have felt some shame. Um, but I was like, oh, good, I'm done. I can go find something else to do. And I found a great job temping with a moving company. It was amazing. You know, age 18 was great. Um, but... But it's that idea, like, what attitude do we bring into our relationship with Christ? Is it, like, tentative, adversarial? Do I want to grow, or do I want to protect what I've got? You know, Jesus is our Savior and Lord. Lord means that we surrender to him in all things, and so part of that is, like, letting things down. It doesn't happen all at once. You know, I love that Eugene Peterson called discipleship a long, uh, long obedience in the same direction. You know, we, I'm so glad that God is patient with us, right? God is very patient. But it is that, it is long obedience, that over time we, we surrender when we mess up. We, we go back to God, and we're continually willing to be reformed and shaped and molded into, more into the image of Christ. Are we willing to say, I want that when we see Jesus? I want to live like that. I want what he has. That's what discipleship is all about. We talked about discipleship last week in our vision conversation. Very simply, discipleship is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And you know what? That's a work that God does in you. That's not something you do on your own. That's not something that you, uh, that, that, that you can just muster up. That is something that God does in you. That's something you allow in your life that you focus on. And it happens in, in love. 
So there's good news. Like if you feel like you're stuck, if you feel like maybe, maybe lukewarm, like I don't know, I've just been kind of in this plateaued place with God for a long time. I don't really hear him speaking. I'm not really excited. You know, maybe you would, you know, be honest, be like, yeah, my life's a little lukewarm right now. The good news is that, that, that God's grace, as it says in the Psalms, is new every morning. And that's even grace over our apathy, right? That's even grace over our selfishness. Like, if we've lost our passion for Jesus, he's still there. He still has grace for us. He still will pick us up. He's still ready to light a fire inside of us. He's still ready to, to use us. We just have to turn towards him. We just got to restart again. I love what John says in verse 5 as we keep going. He says, But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is true—sorry, uh, if anyone—yeah. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Here's the Jesus connection, right? Jesus is the, the model, the template, the example, whatever word you want to use. Are we moving in a direction where our life is becoming more like Jesus? We'll never become Jesus, just to be clear. But are we moving in his direction? We start to live like him. We start to pray more like him, speak like him, love like him. Love is where John hangs out. You know, this is not so much about what we do, but what's the reality of our hearts towards others? Is our heart being shaped in compassion towards others, in love towards others? Are we willing to be put out there for others? Like Jesus on the cross was put out there for us. One of the hard realities is of our faith, as we talk about love and the kind of love that we're invited into in Christ, is that our faith, having faith, is not very prestigious. Jesus didn't seek prestige. He actually ran from it. He said, don't tell anybody about my miracles. It doesn't always make sense to others. Not everybody will cheer for you in your life when you choose to follow Jesus. And to some, it might seem downright dorky to follow Jesus, to follow one person, the simplicity of it, to build your life around one person, to build it around Jesus. We live in the information age. We know more about other faiths and other beliefs than ever before. It's all out there. And to many, to put Jesus in a box, or many, pe many people put Jesus in a box with other philosophers, religious leaders, and, and, and to make him primary is really a hard step, or seems foolish. I want to go to something that the Apostle Paul said when he wrote to the church in 1 Corinthians, because the church in 1 Corinthians really struggled to figure out how to be Christians in their world. In their culture, their culture was, you could sum up their culture as being about two things. They were, they were really into philosophy, and they were really into sex. Like, that is the Corinthian church. And uh, that, all right, that's a hard silence, guys. We can, you know, <laughs> come on, come on. Let's just let that hang for a little bit. Um, but they were, they were trying to live their faith in a way that could fit those categories in. 
you know, and kind of like do it all kind of thing. And this is what Paul said to him. Paul, Paul's this example of living for Christ. He says, we, speaking of himself, and, and uh, those with him, he says, We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. So here you have a church that's trying to like make it all fit, make sense. And Paul says, let me tell you what we're really called to be. <laughs> How about the scum of the earth? How about garbage? That sounds fun. Um, you know, the Corinthian church was trying to mix their faith with like the sexual norms of their time. You know, they had, they had temple prostitutes that, that the men would visit on their way home from work. You know, they had... Uh, street corner philosophers. It was a very like intellectual place and so most of the church is just trying to figure out how their faith fits in that place and 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 Paul says you know what we're actually supposed to be really different and it's not going to make any sense at all to the people around you. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with being nothing? Garbage, scum. It's not that that's how everybody will see us. But that's how committed Paul was to the ways of Jesus, that he didn't care if they made sense to the world around him or not, right? He didn't care. And so God is looking for a faith that confounds the world, that others will call foolish. Like, why would you be so invested, so passionate, so sold out to Christ? Because at the end of the day, that's all the church has to offer is Christ. We do some amazing things through Christ and the power of the Spirit, but the ultimate thing we have to offer is Christ. So, like I said, this whole thing about obedience, John never disconnects it from love. It's like, how do we measure obedience? John's like, well, look, look at the way that you love other people. He always connects obedience to love. Look at what he says in verse 10. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So here again, we have light and dark, we have hate and love, and we have it focused in the church. Now, we know that we're called to love our neighbors, we're called to love everybody, right? So we can't hate anyone. We're not, that's, that's not what Christ came to be about. That's not what, we're not called to hate anyone. But why would John focus love like within the church? Why would he focus it within the body of Christ? Why does that matter primarily? Well, John focuses on the church as the primary place where we live this out, 
Like, we're God's family. Like, we're the ones who bear the name of Christ. And if we're not changed, if we're not loving each other well in here, why would the world want anything to do with us? Like, if we're not committed to love, if we're not different, if, if someone can't walk in here and feel the love, like, why show up? You know, what's different about us? Are we as committed to loving each other as we are to loving Christ, right? Loving our own families. Are we willing to step in for each other uh, when hard times hit? When, when we get, uh, you know, when, when, when crisis hits? Like, God wants the love, the, the love, uh, his love to be so evident in us that that would be the compelling draw to people. I went in there, and it's like a love I cannot explain. And people care for each other like I've never seen, right? Like radical, radical love. And so today, I just want to end on this idea that, like, let's love each other well. The first place to practice obedience is love for each other. And last week, we, we went through things like, hey, you know, like, don't gossip, don't slander, like honor each other. But man, we can really love each other well. We've got, you know what? We've got a lot of young families in our church, right? A lot of young babies and stuff. Like, I want those meal trains filled up, people. Like, let's fill up those meal trains. Um, but we can, we can, you know, it could be as simple as connecting. That's the first step right? It may not be this super, like, sacrificial thing. It might just be like, hey, let's grab lunch. Why don't you guys come over? Like, just start connecting. You know, that's why we have icebreakers, right? We got to thaw things sometimes, you know? We got to build those relationships. But as part of his church, God has called you to love each other well. And I think that's the city on a hill that Jesus was talking about. That's the light of the world. When the church loves each other well. Guys, I'm going to challenge you. 2024, you may have heard, is an election year. Really love each other well this year, okay? Seriously. Seriously. I used to uh, enjoy election years. Not anymore. <laughs> like, they can be so hard. It can be brutal sometimes. Some of the language going back and forth uh, seems like our country is the most divided around election years. We, the church, are called to be an alternative community that's focused on loving each other well and figuring out how to love and serve our community. And that's where our primary focus needs to be. So this year, let's keep it there, okay? Let's keep it there. Let's not, let's not live in fear. Let's not, like, attack. Like, let's love. That's what Christ has called us to do, even on election years. So, so, uh, so, so my hope for you is as, we kind of, as you kind of sift through what John's saying, my hope for you is really that what John said in the beginning of chapter 2 that you would just draw closer to Christ. And, and he says in verse 2, if anyone has sinned, we have an advocate. You know, there's good news. Like if we've sinned, if we've been in an attitude of sin, if we've been distant from God, we still have an advocate in Christ. We just need to trust him. 
I mean, I could have come up and just said, you need Jesus and left today. But I decided to explain it to you guys. <laughs> Thought that was a little more friendly. Um, but that's it. That's the message is we just need Jesus. That's, that's as simple as it is. Treasure him. Treasure what he's done in your life. Talk about what he's done in your life. Right? Talk about the, 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 the places where you were, you were trapped and he set you free. Right? Share that with people. That's, that's life. That's what we're invited into. So let me pray as, as the worship team comes up. Jesus, I do admit that, that I need you this morning. Lord, and even on, as I approach to, to preach a message on obedience, all I can think of is all the ways that I haven't been obedient. Lord, and the ways that you continue to work on me. But Lord, I pray just for an attitude of obedience to flood this place, to flood our hearts, an attitude of willingness and to follow Christ and just your, just a deeper love for you, a deeper pursuit, God. Um, and Lord, when things knock us down, that we wouldn't be discouraged, that we would always know who we can look to, even when we don't have the answers, even when we don't have answers that we want. Lord, we can always look to Jesus. You are there. You are waiting for us. You are ready to embrace us. Your mercies are new every morning. So Lord, help us to step into that right now. Help us to step into a new day. Help us to step into your forgiveness. Help us to step into your purpose for us. Help us to be called by a new name. Help us to put on Christ. You are our life. You're the source. Every good thing that we have comes from you. So, Lord, as we close in worship today, I pray that uh, you would allow us to just open ourselves up to receive. Uh, Lord, that just receive from you um, and, and to hear from you and to walk with you again in a, in a new way. Lord, lead us, guide us. We thank you, Father. We thank you for all that you do and all that you are in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church, we're going to close in worship today. I'm going to invite you to stay for our, our vision conversation in Brent's big reveal after, after service at 1130. Let's stand and, and worship.